you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Micah chapter 4, please. Micah chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 1 all the way to chapter 5, verse 5. The message is entitled, The Coming Kingdom Glory. Micah now takes up the subject of the millennial kingdom, as the other minor prophets have, as we've seen. The future blessing to Israel, chapter 4 and 5. In chapter 4, verse 1, you have the term latter days. In 4, 6, in that day. Micah 5, 10, in that day. It's centered upon the millennial kingdom. The chapters have been divided in different ways. The future exaltation of Zion, the first eight verses of chapter 4. The future might of Zion from verse 9 to 13. The future king of Zion in chapter 5, verse 1 through the first portion of 5. And then the future peace of Zion in chapter 5, verse uh, 5 to 6. And then the future vindication of Zion, chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. And last of all, the future purification of Zion, verse 10 through 15 of chapter 5. As you can see, 4 and 5 are all millennial kingdom. That's the context. You can't escape it. So what we want to do is take the first three aspects of the kingdom. Um, let me read our um, chapter here. It's lengthy. Bear with me. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now it, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the hills, or the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills. The people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem shall uh, judge between many peoples and rebuke many strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall any learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig, and no one shall make them afraid. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken um, these things. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant, the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has, you, has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and laboring to bring forth, um, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city, and you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of his enemy. Now, also many nations have gathered against you, who say, let her be defiled, and let, her, let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, and I will make your horn iron, and I will make your 
hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Now gather yourself in truth, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, let, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel. Those going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of the brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the end of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Quite a passage. It falls into the three, the future exaltation of Zion, chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, the future might of Zion, chapter 4, verse 9, all the way to verse 1 of chapter 5, and then the future king of Zion, in chapter 5, verse 2, to the first portion of 5. The future exaltation of Zion comes first. Notice verse 1 through 8. In verse 1 through 4, the house of the Lord will be the center of worship. Mark that well, the center of worship. In verse 1, the millennial temple will stand among Zion. You cannot miss this. Micah is continuing to prophesy. Now it shall come to pass, verse 1 says. Um, the word now is better translated, but... For the text is making the sharp contrast to what has preceded about Jerusalem in the previous chapter, the last verse. The fact that uh, it was going to be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586. Uh, now, the Lord's house in the future is going to have future glory on Mount Zion. You can't escape it. You must take the Bible literal. Okay, You can't spiritualize it. The revelation of the future glory of God is going to be Amman Zion. It's very, very clear. Now, notice the certainty of the prophecy assured by the phrase, it shall come to pass. The vessel of revelation, Micah, the prophet, a human being. The source of the prophecy is God himself. He knows the end from the beginning. No problem for him to reveal it. The time of the fulfillment is identified by the phrase, in the latter times. Underline that. The phrase, latter times, um, or days, latter, literally days, indicates the time of the prophecy to be fulfilled, um, and it's used to indicate events of the end, including the tribulation, the great tribulation. Uh, so the context you have to look at it. You have it in Deuteronomy and Isaiah, Jeremiah and Daniel, Ezekiel, all of them. Now the context uh, here refers to the period right after the second coming of Jesus to set up the kingdom, terminating the blindness of Israel about their Messiah that Paul speaks about in Romans 19 and 11. Now, notice the prophecy revealed that the Lord and his house will reign with supreme authority on the earth. Listen to the words. That the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills. Mountains of the Lord's house indicates and identifies Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. You can't get away from it. The phrase on top of the mountains shall be exalted above the hills is figurative language to means that it's going to be the full authority over all the nations, hills and mountains. Mountains are, are, are sometimes used figuratively. Okay? It's very evident here because the house is not going to be higher than all the mountains. That would be dumb. But it's talking about the authority of those. Again, we're talking about the millennial kingdom, the thousand years that Jesus reigns. And so Jerusalem will be the place where all the people of the earth will go worship. It says right here, and people shall flow to it, 
verse 1. Zechariah gives us the details. Read chapter, chapter 8 and chapter 14. Zechariah from chapter 12 to 14 is all the second coming. Zechariah can't wait to get there. Just We're going to be there a long time. Um, in fact, Zechariah 14, 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Everybody. The whole world. Zechariah 14, 17 says, And it shall be that whoever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, on them there will be no rain. A lot of interesting things. Now, notice verse 2. The Messiah will teach the nations. Verse 1 and 2 are identical to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Remember, he is a contemporary of Michael. Micah quoted their very words. Listen to them. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord Yahweh. Micah stated the reason and the purpose. Listen carefully. To the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. This is the whole earth. The reason is to be taught. The word comes forth from the word to cast a javelin or to shoot the arrow. The ideas of pointing a person to walk in truth. Directing them, pointing them. And the purpose is to obey. To walk in that truth. So much what we're doing right now, but the environment is going to be different. The earth is going to be redone. Everything. But there will still be people living that didn't take the mark of the beast going to the kingdom age. That will be repopulating, having children just like you and I. But it will be longevity. Okay? Now, Micah declared Jerusalem and Zion will be the center of the spiritual instruction for the life of all the nations then. Look at verse 2 still. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the law and the word of Yahweh is the instruction and the authority. There's nobody else. Even, Isaiah says, even then... I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. Jesus picked this up in quoted in the New Testament. Okay. Short term, long term. Many times the prophecies. The world will experience righteous justice and peace through Jesus Christ. It'll be the only time. You're not going to find it here. Look at verse 3. This verse is identical to Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4. Isaiah 2 speaks about the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 11 and many others. So Jesus will administer perfect judgment to the people and nations. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Ruling with a rod of iron, we are told in Revelation 2.27. Peace and tranquility will exist, though sin will still be present. Isaiah 11.6 through 10, Hosea 2.15, and many other passages of the minor prophets that tell us about the millennial kingdom that's yet to come. I don't know how people say that, that they, they're amillennials, that meaning they don't believe in the millennial kingdom. Uh, what do you do with all the material? Do you spiritualize it? Do you explain it away? Do you just change the meaning? That's what people do. Look at the end of verse 3. Jesus will provide for all the established for all, and to establish peace upon the earth. Only he can do this. The entire military budget of the nations will be for agricultural return. Listen. They shall beat their swords into into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
So the entire earth will experience a thousand years of peace. All these implements of war, no more. Thank God. But right now, you have to have implements of war. There's no way you can try. And for the whole philosophy to demilitarize every nation and take away their nuclear weapons and to take my gun away is crazy. Pray and keep your powder dry. There's evil people around. Simple. Okay? I don't want to hurt anybody. You come in my house unannounced, you're going to have a problem. Real simple. Okay? And these people know what they're doing. Joel has just the opposite for Armageddon in Joel 3.10. They will turn all the implements of agriculture to war. That's what we're doing right now. Now, you need to. It's a fallen world. People are not good. They're good for nothing. Start with yourself. Isaiah 11.9 says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. What a great day that will be as we rule with Jesus. Look at verse 4. The righteous justice, peace, and safety is affirmed. The phrase identifies Israel in the kingdom. But everyone shall be shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Both metaphors are used for Israel. The vine and the fig tree. Zechariah 3.10 and many others. Isaiah 65.19, which describes the millennial kingdom, says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. All the persecution, all the affliction, all the hate towards Israel is going to cease during the millennial kingdom. The Jew will not be persecuted or be in danger of attack. And no one shall make them afraid, verse 4 says. Listen to Isaiah 65, 20 again. No more uh, shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die at 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. In other words, longevity will be in again. People will still die, but they're going to live a long time. Not you and I. We're glorified. We're ruling, ruling and reigning with Jesus. But those who didn't take the mark of the beast and enter the kingdom age. Okay? Now, this is due to the authority of the captain of the armies of heaven on earth. Look at the end of verse 4. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts, captain of the army of heavens, has spoken it. And he never lost a battle, and he won't lose the one that's coming up. In fact, Isaiah 65, 25 says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord Yahweh. So the lion and the lamb will lay together. The lamb will not be in the lion, but next to the lion. It'll be a different world. Don't try it right now. Now look at verse 5 through 8. The house of David will be the center now of the nations. First, the center of worship, now the center of the nations. Verse 5, the explanation of, of this peace and safety is stated. In that day, the nations will no longer walk after their gods, for all people walk each in the name of his God. Almost seems conflicting here, but this has to be prior to the millennial kingdom, as the Gentiles walked, everybody in their own God. Because during the millennial kingdom, there will be no one worshipped but Jesus Christ. Zechariah chapter 8, Zechariah chapter 14, and many, many other portions. Very, very clear. Now, notice in that day, Israel will walk with their Messiah, Jesus. But we will walk in the name of the Lord and our God forever and ever. Because after the millennial kingdom is the eternal aspect that God has. It's over. Forever. The word but, notice, marks the sharp contrast of their long history of unbelief with their Messiah. 
Now the blinders are taken off. The Jews will acknowledge and accept their Messiah. We will walk with uh, the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And so all this history of rejection and blindness will come to an end uh, at the end of the tribulation towards the last three and a half moving into the millennium. Notice verse 6 and 7, the blessing of Israel in the millennial uh, by Jesus is given here. Um, the time is given in that day, mark that, especially in that day, like the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a period of time, begins with the rapture, and then the battle of, Armaged- of, of, the, of Gog and Magog, and it moves through all the way to the end of the millennial kingdom. So the time in that day at the establishing of the millennial, the certainty is stated, thus says the Lord. In other words, guarantees the authority. The regathering of the Jews is stated. I will assemble the lame. I will gather the, uh, the outcasts and those who, listen, I afflicted. Jesus spoke judgment over Israel. I leave you desolate until you say, blessed you comes in the name of the Lord. Because of rejection. The context of the Jew in their abuse condition during the great tribulation. This is not talking about the Gentile who enters the kingdom, but the Jew. He's making the Jew. The context is Jewish. The establishing and the ruling of the nation is given. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord Yahweh will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on even forever. For them, Jew, nation, Israel, Mount Zion. You cannot put Palestinian in there. Don't be a liar. Don't be a deceiver. It's very, very clear what it says. It's through Isaac, not Ishmael. It is the Jewish nation, not the Arab nations. Make sure you understand that. Look at verse 7. The establishing and ruling of the nation. There's the strong nation. Over them in Mount Zion. Again, the context is limited to the Jewish remnant. Isaiah enlarges on this in chapter 35, verse 1 through 10, as other prophets do. There's so much material. Look at verse 8. The former dominion of Jerusalem will be restored. The reference is to the city of Jerusalem again. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. The stronghold is the name of the original city of David, west of the temple, at the lower elevation. So if I'm standing on Mount of Olives... Right here's the Temple Mount. Right here's the Temple. Over here, down there on the lower parts by the Kidron, down there. Jesus will restore the former authority and dominion of the kingdom of David. To you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the daughter, the troops, the Jews, the mount, the temple. Not talking about Burbank. Have you ever seen pictures of Europe when it was bombed? And then after, as we restored it, the Europeans have forgotten. If it wasn't for us, they'd be speaking German. And so has the world. But let's move on. The first temple was Solomon's temple. First Kings 6 through 9, Second Chronicles chapter 3. To seven, it gives you all the details. It was the most beautiful structure and decor and form and everything else. Gold, silver, brass, precious stones, ivory, precious woods. Everything was, nothing was, was spared, as you know. All the stones were cut at the quarry. 
and they were brought. Not a, not a, a hammer, not a chisel, not a tool was heard on the construction site. First Kings 6, 7 tells us. The Shekinah glory was upon it continuously. In fact, when Solomon dedicated the temple in First Kings 8, 11, the Shekinah glory just filled it and the priests had to run out. They couldn't even be in there. Later on, it departed from the temple. Ezekiel 10.18 tells us the Shekinah glory left the temple, no longer there. The second temple was built by Ezra after the Babylonian captivity, as you know. The book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse uh, to, to chapter 6. Cyrus the Persian would provide all the vessels that were taken by Babylon to go back. Uh, Isaiah predict, predicted it would be Cyrus by name. Isaiah uh, um, 44, 28 to 45, verse 1. And uh, 150 years before he was born. And there were it was a great celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles, musical worship and sacrifice, weeping and shouting with joy, tells us Ezra 3, 10 through 13. The second temple. But it was no nothing compared to the first. That's why the young men were rejoicing and the old men were weeping because they had seen the first one. The young men didn't. The temple of Herod is not a third temple, but it is the second temple of Ezra that was enlarged and beautified on that mount. Jesus walked in that temple, Peter, Paul, all the apostles. The Roman general Titus destroyed it in 70 AD, leveled it, as well as the city. There has been no temple in Jerusalem since. And the Muslims have built the Alaska Mosque in 679 and the Dome of the Rock in 790, which are both blasphemous buildings. The Dome of the Rock around it on the top is written in Arabic. It is written, God does not beget, neither is he begotten. That's a direct contradiction to John 3.16. Absolute contradiction. Now, I've been in that thing twice in 20-some trips. I never go in there. I don't want to go in there. And sometimes it's so hostile we can't go to the mountain. But um, it's an interesting place. Um, the next temple will be the one the Antichrist will build during the tribulation period. Second um, Thessalonians 2 tells us that he will enter the temple, declare himself God, cause everybody to worship him, and that's when all persecution starts towards the Jew. Yeah, very, very heavy. Um, he will fulfill the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet in chapter 12, verse 11. Jesus made reference to this in Matthew 24, 15. Do not put the church in Matthew 24 and 25. That's all Jewish ground. The church is nowhere there. The ten virgins are not the church, not even the wise ones. We are coming back with Jesus at the end of chapter 24, chapter 25. Where he's coming and he's setting on the kingdom. We've been married in heaven. We're here for the supper and the, the thousand-year honeymoon. And he's going to flip the bill, Okay. So, now, Israel flees to the wilderness, to Petra, Isaiah 16, 1 through 4, and also Revelation 12, 6, where God will provide for her. The final temple is the temple that is going to be during the millennial kingdom. Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 gives you all the specifics. Chapter 40 to chapter 43, verse 12, um, verse 12 gives you the literal details of the temple and the returning Shekinah glory during the thousand years. The furnishings, the regulations, and the worship are described in Ezekiel 43, verse 13 to 47, 12. Then you have the allotted land in Ezekiel 47, 13 to 48, 35. And so if you were with us in our study of Ezekiel in the millennial series, we went all through that and show you the diagrams and all the things that are there. 
So this is the future exaltation of Zion. Make sure that you understand it is going to take place. Next comes the future might of Zion. This is found in verse 9 through 13 as well as verse 1 and 5. First, we have the short-term chastisement before restoration, 9 through 10. So now he's moving from the future millennial. He's moving back to the period of time where he's at. Micah, in irony, taunts the tragic results of the rebelliousness and disobedience of the people, that what they have brought on themselves. Now, why do you cry aloud? Uh, is, is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? Like a parent, you say, I told you, didn't I? You didn't want to listen to me. That's what he's saying. Their last king, Zedekiah, would be captured by Babylon. As the troops would grab him, he was fleeing from Jerusalem. He was taken to Riblah, and there, the last thing he saw was his sons being put to death, and then they gouged his eyes out and took him in captivity. Second Kings chapter 25, 6-7. Horrible. But he didn't pay attention to Jeremiah. He feared the people more than God. The judgment was not far off. Notice, for pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. So he's talking about the generation. He's talking to Jerusalem. Micah pronounced that after their judgment, God would deliver them. So judgment is coming through Babylon, not Assyria. Assyria is going to go away, we're going to see. After the, they take the northern kingdom. But he's talking about Babylon. But God, at the same time he gives judgment, he gives the faithful promise that he's going to deliver them. God is so faithful to do that. Notice there in verse 10, the captivity was certain. Things would only get worse though. But in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. The, the delivery would be the captivity. So he's using met- metaphorical, figurative language to identify and describe what their destiny is, your judgment. They be taken captive. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. The place, you can't mistake in it. Babylon. Not Burbank. Babylon. And to Babylon you shall go. You see, you really have to twist the scriptures to apply to the Jew what God has given to them to the Palestinian today. And they're doing it all the time in Christian churches. It's blasphemous. Notice the deliverance was also certain. Their deliverance would be after 70 years. There you shall be delivered. Remember that Hezekiah showed all his house. Remember when he was sick and God would say, Get your house in order, you're going home. And he cried like a little girl, so God gave him 15 more years. And then uh, the guys from Babylon, who, by the way, were not a powerful empire then, they came and said, hey, Hezekiah, how you doing? We heard you got here. Oh, great, great, good. Oh, good. Well, God, you're doing good now. Hey, hey, why don't you show us around your house? So he showed him everything. Isaiah walks in. Hey, Hezekiah, what would you show him? There isn't a thing I didn't show him. He says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. They're going to come back one day. They're going to take all your silver, your gold, everything else. And they're going to take all your children. You know what Hezekiah said? Well, at least it's not in my lifetime. Wow, what a dog. Wow. Isaiah 39, 6 through 7. Three sieges, 606, 596, 586. Jerusalem done. Temple done. Their God will be faithful. Listen. There the Lord Yahweh will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. In fact, Isaiah 45, 28 to 45, 1, their deliverance would come through Osiris, who God called his anointed to rebuild the Jerusalem, the foundation of the temple, and God used him for his glory. 150 years before he was born, by name, God is the one who knows the future. 
You have to appreciate the prophecy and view that Babylon was not a world empire. It was Assyria who was a world empire. They were the threat. And after Assyria came Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome. Just like God revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice verse 11 to 13, including verse 1 of chapter 5. Um, the long-term restoration after the destruction of the nations that uh, come against Israel now is given. So he's come back. Now he goes back out there, the long term. Micah now looks down the road to another event in the latter days. Look at verse 11. The prophet now goes from one nation of Babylon to the plurality of nations. Now also many nations, goes from the one Babylon to many nations, have gathered against you, Israel, Jew, Mount Zion. There are two battles still future. The battle of Gog and Magog attacking Israel with the Islamic Confederacy of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which happens right at the same time the rapture takes place, the beginning of the tribulation. There's a battle of Armageddon that takes place at the end of the tribulation uh, against the whole armies of the world. And you find that in Revelation 19. Uh, Joel, the prophet of uh, the day of the Lord, gave us great details, chapter 3 specifically, but all of them. Now, notice the prophet quotes their words of hate and plotting against Israel in verse 11. Their contempt is expressed. Who says, let her be defiled? Just contempt for her. You realize that every Muslim nation, when they put a map up there, they don't have Israel, right? It doesn't exist. And they say they're going to just push every Jew into the sea, right? Their evil plotting is their goal. Listen. And let, your eye, let our eye look upon Zion for opportunity to pounce on them like a ravenous beast. Remember, great persecution of the Jew will be going on during the great tribulation. Two of three Jews will die, Zechariah 12, 9 tells us. One of three will survive. Germany was not the worst persecution. It's yet to come. Horrific. Look at verse 12. Micah declared these nations believe they are in control. The nations are ignorant to God's involvement, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. The word but marks the sharp contrast between the ill intent of the nations and the good intent of God for Israel. The word thoughts means plans and devices. The nations are oblivious to God's purpose, nor do they not understand his counsel. Understand means to discern the inside of the nature of God. They have no discernment or insight into the intents of God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, they are higher than the heavens. And yet, any nation that takes a posture against Israel, which is not good for us because our nation has been against Israel for the first time in a very straight, clear, forward, adamant manner under this administration. And it is not good for us. It is very dangerous for us. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. Genesis 12.3. It's still in effect. Notice they are headed for their destruction. Verse 12. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Again, he uses imagery and figurative language of gathering the harvest. But the context is judgment and destruction. It's very plain, very clear. 
This could refer to Assyria and Babylon also short term. Uh, though God uses uh, them to be, judge his own people, he would turn around and judge them. So sometimes the scriptures do that. Look at verse 13. The nations will be defeated by God as he enables Israel also. The imperative command to Israel is arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. Not Arabia. Not Jordan. Not Iraq. Not Iran. But Israel. The encouragement to Israel is, for I will make your horn and I will make your hooves bronze. The figurative language of horns is strength, iron, hooves bronze, judgment, strong judgment, the instrument of God's power. Now, you may not like Israel the Jew, that's fine, but you're going to have to take it up with God, not me. You don't want to stick your finger in God's eye. The assures victory, you shall beat in pieces many peoples. The abundant spoil, I will consecrate their gain to the Lord Yahweh and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. The chapter division is unfortunate. The Hebrew text has this first verse as the last verse of chapter 4, which is a better division. Micah is still dealing with the city of Jerusalem. Context. Look at verse 1. The exhortation comes first. Gather together yourself as a troop. This is a military uh, imagery and sense uh, to defend yourself against the siege that is coming. The word troop is always used in a military sense. And the city is personified by the phrase, O daughter of truth. Speaking about Jerusalem, depicting Jerusalem as a warlike city. But at this time, her hostility was against God and the less fortunate. That's why judgment's coming. They've walked away from God. They haven't abided in God. They, they, they syncretized the worship of God with all this pagan stuff and all their own beliefs and everything. The judgment was directly from God. He has laid siege against us. Straightforward. Hezekiah, remember, received the letter from the Assyrian officer who were taunting the men on the wall in 2 Kings 19, 14 through 19. And they were mocking the God of Yahweh because Hezekiah had taken down the high places. They associated the high place with the worship of, of Yahweh. And so some of you may have slept with your girlfriend last night or committed adultery against your husband or wife or got drunk or loaded. And people see, say you're a Christian and then so they associate Christian. Oh, Christians can drink in that. That's bad. People can get loaded. That's what he did in the days of Hezekiah. And so they were mocking God. And so Hezekiah took the letter to the temple before the Lord spread it out. And the Lord sent Isaiah in verse 20 and through 24 of 2 Kings 19. And, and God, through Isaiah, says, listen, this guy's not going to enter the city. Not one arrow is going to be shot. And then God sent one angel that night in verse 35 through 36 of chapter 19 of 2 Kings. And he killed 250,000 frontline troops of Assyria. And they went away and never came back. Now, that's about 701. They didn't go into captivity until 586. But God warned them. They never learned. They didn't hear. They will strike the judge of Israel. Notice, with the rod on his cheek. The striking on the cheek was a gross insult, having no respect for the king who was the final judge of the nation. It's like slapping a person, spitting on them. All this time, it would be Hezekiah who's being insulted. Ultimately, the fulfillment is Zedekiah as Nebuchadnezzar took him captive as he 
killed his sons and took out his eyes. Second Kings 24, 15, 25, 17, many other passages. The glory of God will be ushered in to save mankind. That's what will take place. Nothing we can even imagine or compare to right now. So different. We can't even imagine world peace. We can't even imagine the glory of, of the Lord in the midst of us. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we have a glimpse of what God can do in us as sinners. Then how much more will he do then? As he is sitting upon the throne. You know, God will bring the nations of the world as they are against God and his people, Israel. Listen to Zechariah. He has much to say. Can't wait to get there. Zechariah 12, 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness and all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Wow. Zechariah 12, 3. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And they are today. All, including us. Zechariah 14.2 For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be broke, taken. The house says rifle. The women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So this kind of warfare and persecution from the middle of the seven years on goes on. Great persecution. culminates in the battle of Armageddon. God will destroy them completely. Listen to Zechariah 12, 7. And the Lord will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than of Judah. In other words, it's one nation, no longer northern, southern, no, no longer Israel and Judah. One. Zechariah 12, 8 says, And in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And the house of David should be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. Wow. You've read some of those things in the Old Testament battles, how God rained down hailstorms and, and, and different things, right? One little angel, 250,000. Zechariah 12, 9 says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Zechariah 14.4 And in that day his feet, the feet of Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. And Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half towards the south. Zechariah 14.4 When he steps on the Mount of Olives, remember he ascended up on high, he left there. Now he comes back. Water comes forth from, from Jerusalem, the throne there, half to the Mediterranean Sea, half to the Dead Sea to revive the Dead Sea. Right now we'll see the Dead Sea when we get down there a couple of months. It's got sinkholes. It's shrinking. But it's got a lot of wealth in it. That's what's going to pull Russia down. She keeps snooping around, back and forth, back and forth. Listen to Psalm 2, verse 4 through 9. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy 
hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance. That's not for missionaries. That's for the son coming back, the battle of Armageddon. And the ends of the earth for your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. People use that for missionaries. That's not true. It's out of context. Psalm 2 is the preview of the second coming, verse 4 through 9 there. Now God confirms this in the book of Revelation. Listen to John. Now out of the mouth, out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, that he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the, in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, uh, to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, a flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, flee, free and slave, both small and great. Revelation 19, 15 through 18. Psalm 2, the preview. So, uh, Revelation 19, the actual battle. Now, what is it that we don't believe? We see the world where it's going. We see the nations. We see the, the encouragement for anarchy throughout the land. One world government, one world money, one world this, one world that. We see everything lining up. So this is the future might of Zion. Third comes the future king of Zion. In verse 2 down to the first part of 5. Look at verse 2. The revelation of the birth of their Messiah. At the first coming here. Micah uh, names the place of the Messiah's birth. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata. Bethlehem means house of bread as you know. And uh, Matthew quotes this in Matthew 2, 4 through 6. For the prophecy of Jesus' birth. Um, Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary made their way down from Nazareth to Bethlehem by the decree of Caesar Augustus for taxation in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, to fulfill the prophecy. When the Magi's came seeking the king uh, of the Jews, Herod asked the priests and the scribes as to where he was to be born. They quoted Micah 5, 2. You find that in Matthew again, 2, verse 2 through 6. Notice Ephrata, it means ash heap or place of fruitfulness. House of bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Fruitfulness, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. Interesting. This was the original home of David, Ephrata, 1 Samuel 17, 2. Jesus would come through the line of David. Both Mary and Joseph were through the line of David. One's an ascension, one's a dissension. One comes through Solomon, the other one through Nathan. Both had the right to the throne, but since Joseph's not the father, it doesn't really matter. But he had the right. He had the credentials. Notice Micah pointed out the humility of the Messiah's birth. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah. Notice the contrast is marked by the word but. At the beginning of the verse, the contrast between the well-known city of Jerusalem that was a topic... Now the comparison, Bethlehem, Ephrata. What's that? Bethlehem, what? Insignificant. You understand? Now, if you were God and you were sending your son, what would you have him to be born? (laughs) Wow. 
hole in the wall. God's not impressed with you, me, or anything that we have. He's not impressed with the gold or anything. In fact, he pays the streets with gold. No big deal. Notice, still in 2, Micah declared the one to be born was the ruler of Israel. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. The verse speaks of his humanity. He ate, he hungered, he slept, he cried, and he died just like you and I. Human. Yet supernaturally birthed. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Isaiah 14, behold, a virgin shall bear a child. She calls his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23 picks that up in fulfillment as Mary was impregnated by the Spirit of God coming upon her. Wow. Paul put it this way, Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law. God became man. He would come... When the authority of Israel would be removed from her. Remember they had to petition Pilate for the permission to put Jesus to death. Shiloh, the government would be upon his shoulders. The stem of the root of Jesse. So you have Genesis 49.10. Shiloh, you have Isaiah 9.6. Uh, the government on his shoulders. You have uh, of the stem of Jesse. Isaiah 11.1. 1. Everything according to the scriptures. He would come forth to me, notice that. Who's that? The Father. And he would rule Israel. Jesus came from the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus came depending totally on the Father so that you and I have no excuse. Everything he did, he did as a man dependent on God so that you and I are able to do the very same thing by his grace. The last Adam. Notice still too, Micah declared the eternal nature now of the Messiah. He touches humanity now who's going forth are from of all from everlasting. The statement means beyond the vanishing point, eternity. You know, time came out of eternity, and when it's all done, it'll all go back into eternity. After the millennial kingdom, the white throne judgment, we go back into eternity, whatever God has for us. So the statement here from the vanishing point, the same word is used uh, as God identifies the everlasting covenant with Noah in Genesis nine sixteen. The deity of Jesus implied here, God eternal. Jesus constantly said he was God. You can't miss it in the Gospels. The epistles tell us he's God. Book of Revelation says he's God. Jesus said before Abraham was I am. In John 8, 58. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and God was the word. And the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. God became man, ladies and gentlemen. He emptied himself of his glory and never of his deity. Being in the form of man, he didn't think of robbery to be equal with man, but he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a man, no reputation, and he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And for that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You got a problem with that? <laughs> now, when you can rise from the dead on your own, then I'll bow to you. Until then, go away. There's only one. Notice verse 3, the reconciliation of their Messiah after the great tribulation at the second coming now. So it is birth at the first coming, now the second coming. God would turn away from his people and nation. Therefore, he shall give them up. This is an overview. The nation would go into captivity, the northern nation, 
of Israel, 722. The southern would go into captivity after three sieges. The final one, 586, by, to Babylon. And the Jews would reject the Messiah. And therefore, God would destroy their city through the general Titus of Rome in 70 AD. And Jesus said, there's one coming in his own name. Him you will receive. I came to my own. My own received me not. John 1, 11. Wow. They wanted to kill Jesus when he said in the synagogue of Nazareth, in, these, in your hearing, these scriptures are fulfilled regarding Isaiah. About the day of the Lord, the Spirit of God being upon him to bring salvation. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He said, if you would have known this your day, the things that were prepared for you, Luke nineteen forty one. So now they're left to you desolate. He said, you shall not see me henceforth. You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 37 through 39. So this is a panoramic view. He's given them up from 70 AD, from the point they rejected him. The final judgment came in 70 AD, and he has given them up. And he will until they call upon his name in the middle of the tribulation, coming to the second coming. Wow. God would give them up till the particular time. Listen, until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. God brought them back into the land, May 14, 1948, to declare their independence for the third time. He will give them up until the tribulation period. The great tribulation will kind of bring everything to a head, and they will flee to the wilderness. It will be the fulfillment of the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. The first 69 weeks have been fulfilled, and they will call upon his name. Um, they will, Israel will, the remnant will flee to Petra, the city of Selah, Isaiah 16, 1 through 4, also Revelation 12, 6. It's a place prepared for her. It's in modern Jordan today. Some of you have been there with us. And um, God would be reconciled to his people and nation then. Listen. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. One, one people, one nation. Not two any longer. Then notice verse 4 to the beginning of 5, the celebration of the reigning Messiah with Israel in the millennial is given to us. Jesus will be faithful to his promises and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord Yahweh. The shepherd feeds and tends and protects his sheep. This is what pastors are to do. Pastors are supposed to feed the sheep, not fleece the sheep. Not beat the sheep, but feed the sheep. I am here to teach you so you can depend upon God. I don't want you dependent upon me. I want you to know how to study the Word of God. I want you to know how to tear your Bible apart. It's been said that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And someone who is usually belongs to a Bible that isn't. Your Bible nice and clean. No mileage on it. Mine's full of greasy beaner grease. I just have to get a new one every once in a while. Jesus will be seen in his glory. Listen, faithful to the covenant. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. In fact, Jeremiah 23, 6 puts it this way. In, that, in his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. You ready for it? The Lord our righteousness. The Lord to sit canoe. Wow. That's his name for the millennial kingdom. 
the Lord our righteousness to sicken him. Jeremiah 36, 16 also says the same thing. Jesus will not be separated from them anymore. It says, and they shall abide. Verse 4 at the end. Abiding. Don't fall into this eternal security stuff. Abide. Remain. Stay. Don't depart. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Don't be deceived. Don't go back. Go forward. Abiding in Jesus Christ. Jesus will reign supremely and superbly. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this one shall be peace. There will be no peace until Jesus returns. So you pray and you keep your powder dry. Real simple. Listen to Isaiah 9.6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. One day Jesus told his disciples as people were walking away from him. Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 67 and 68. Listen to me. There are no other options. Every option is a liability. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You on the fence there? I don't know if I should be leaving my wife. I'm gonna, you know, the, you know, this other chick. She's telling me I'm so cute, this and that, and or maybe some guy's coming on you. You know, you sweet little wiggly thing, and you know, I'm coming. I'll take care of you. Yeah, after he takes care of himself, and whatever else you're into. Every option outside of Jesus is a liability. And it will cost you eternally. Make no mistake of that. The question is not, do you know all these biblical truths that I've given you this morning? Satan was in heaven at one time. He was second to God. And yet he led a rebellion against God in heaven. You think yourself better? Luke twelve forty eight says, But he who did not know yet committed the things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much more will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will require the more. Luke twelve forty eight, Simple. The judgment is the measure of light we have. The question to you and I is, do we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Or are we just playing games? Have you repented of your sins? Are you living this new quality of life that Christ only can give? Are you growing and serving in the church or just looking? Are you reaching out to others and praying for them because they're lost and you see the time is running short? Do you have a passion for the lost? Do you take that opportunity? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. The daily question for you and I is, are we ready and are we looking for the Lord Jesus coming for us? Luke put it this way, Luke twenty-one thirty-six. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things, the things of the tribulation, great tribulation you just said. 
that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. If it happened automatically, why would he pose a question and encouragement? Watching, praying. First Thessalonians 4, 14-17 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazled, immediately, suddenly, violently, up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Are you ready for that? That's the next event. Make sure you can see the season. Don't just say, well, you know, if it springs around the corner, I'm seeing the trees blossom. You can detect the sign of the times, but you can't detect the spiritual times that we're living in. As you look at the world, you look at our nation, you look at the people around you. Wow. This is the future king of Zion. He's going to put it all together, man. <laughs> Right now, he gets the opportunity to be saved by grace or faith. So these are only the first three aspects of the millennial kingdom described by Micah here. The future exaltation of Zion, the future might of Zion, and the future king of Zion. The Bible is full of this stuff. It's all over. Just for you, he made it. He put it in there just for you and I. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We pray, Lord, you speak to our hearts. And, Father, for those that may be here or even listening over the radio or the Internet, that you will speak to them if they don't know you. If you're listening on or you're a visitor, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Only you can repent. A simple prayer of repentance, only you can do that. If you want to be born again, if you see yourselves as an enemy of God, and that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And you must repent and ask forgiveness. And this is your prayer to him. And he will save you right now. Right where you're at. You can repeat this and he will save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision,